Uh, but we are going to uh, finish up our uh, sermon series today. We've been going through the book of First and Second Thessalonians. And just a reminder, if you're new here today or you've been missing some, we do have all of these available for playback on YouTube or, or podcast, if that's your thing. And it's to the point that I don't really know for sure how that works. So ask Chris um, if you want to know how to get like the podcast and all that. But they're available. You can, you can do the whole series. Uh, but really, the, the theme of this is we've been going through uh, these two books is just the, the, this church, this young church that Paul had only spent a few weeks with and had left kind of hastily before he, uh, before he wanted to. Uh, most of the time, they, the apostles spent months or even years with churches, and it's just a little bit of time. And he's kind of surprised to find out that they were thriving and healthy, that the gospel was really at work in them, and they really become an example church in so many ways, especially for us today. We've been pulling lots of application out of it. And as we close the book of First Thessalonians, we have these five keys to a healthy church. And now as we close the second book, uh, it's going to be five more keys to a healthy church. And, and that first book is really a lot of proactive advice. Here's all the things you need to know. This is a little bit more him speaking to some specific issues in the church and really giving them um, some encouragement, but also some warning and some commands as he closes. And the way I look at this uh, is, is kind of this church who, who probably in some ways is feeling somewhat confident that they are getting this um, encouragement from the Apostle Paul and this individual attention, but there's maybe a, a bit of false security happening at the same time. And so to give you an example of maybe what this is like, something maybe you can identify with, it's like that moment when you're about to go to bed, you're making sure everything in the house is taken care of, the milk was put back in the fridge, the dishes are done, the windows are closed, the doors are locked, and the lights are shut off, and, and you, you fall asleep peacefully. You wake up the next morning, and in horror, you realize you left the garage door open all night. Right? That's something I've done before, and, and both cars are still there, all of my tools, everything's still there, and I'm just very fortunate nothing was stolen. But it could have all been solved if you had a neighbor that said, hey, from out here I can see your garage doors open, maybe you should shut that. And it's that third-party outside perspective that can save you from a lot of troubles and heartaches. That's, that's what Paul is doing right now. He's saying everything's going well from the inside. It might, probably feels like things are good. Here's just a few observations from the outside. It's just a few things need to show up and, and some of these really keys to being healthy as a church together. So encouragement, of course, is the major theme throughout this, but there's some really important teaching that's done in these closing remarks that was important for them and, and also important for us. So if you're not already there, we're going to read the whole chapter of 2 Thessalonians 3. Uh, but before that, let's just take a moment together as, as we pray and ask God to really speak to us and prepare our hearts for this. So God, as, as we close this series and as we think about all of the things that's meant to be a healthy and a hopeful church. Uh, God, I pray as we, we read this final chapter, we consider first what it is that you have to teach us as, as we strive uh, to be as healthy as possible. So, Lord, I pray that you would uh, first speak to us individually through your word, but to us as a community as well, that we'd always be striving to be growing and productive for you, and that we wouldn't get out in the way, but we'd get out of the way and let you work in our church. So God, I just pray for your spirit now to be speaking uh, through me and to each and every single one of us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
starting with verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. And such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Quite a bit to unpack here, but there's really five uh, big keys to a healthy church here. And, and the first is kind of the the Captain Obvious statement of this all, right? If you want to be a healthy church, you need to be people with a healthy faith. That's really the, the baseline of the church is people with faith. And, and here we see three uh, big ideas in the faith that it's grounded, that it's guarded, and that it's growing. And so in verse 5, he, he asks that the Lord would direct their hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And that's kind of how he left off the last chapter, too, is this this call to stand firm in God, to hold fast to his word, to stay encouraged, to remain hopeful. The idea here is simple, that if you are a healthy church, it means that you have this grounded faith in God that, reflects kind of, that affects every facet of your life and, and that you stay rooted deep in him. But it's not always easy, as we know, in the faith, and that's the importance of having this guarded faith and he takes a moment to ask the Thessalonians for their prayers, really about two major areas, uh, spiritual protection and spiritual growth. And this is certainly kind of a humbling moment uh, for this little young church that the apostle, like the guy, the apostle Paul is asking them for their prayers specifically. And I was trying to put it into kind of a modern example to understand how big of a deal this was. It would kind of be like if Billy Graham, at the height of his ministry, writes a letter to Maple Plain Community Church and says, 
will you pray for me about these specific things? But it really showcases the need for all people to have prayer, whether you're an apostle or whether you're a brand new believer. Prayer is what really uh, fuels the faith and what guards the faith. And he, he talks about in verses 3 and 4, uh, that there's, or 2 and 3, that there's not everyone who's a believer out there, right? That there's these wicked and evil people, and ultimately there's this wicked one, this evil one that we need to be protected from. What we see here is that there's a spiritual battle, a component of spiritual battle in, in everybody's faith. Whether you're heavily persecuted or your life is relatively easy, there's, there's going to be some sort of battle that you need to guard against. And that's guarded through prayer, praying for yourself, having others pray for you, praying for others. It's this great joy of the Christian life, but one that we can't overlook in its importance. And the first thing is that it really helps us to acknowledge our dependence on God as a believer. That even in our best days, we are truly powerless to win these spiritual battles in our own strength. We need God's protection and provision. But it's also this reminder that we're in this thing together, right? And one of the great dangers of the church is when each believer kind of has this tunnel vision, where you're just honed in on your own issues, your own problems, your own worries, and you just try to fight everything yourself kind of as that lone wolf but the church is supposed to go through things together, as Steph had kind of mentioned in the kids' lesson today, that we are to be praying for each other no matter how far along we are in the faith. And it really compels us to stay humble. Right? This isn't about us. It's about God's work through us. And this is so important to have that guarded faith no matter what you're facing in life. But the ultimate end to your faith is this growing faith this multiplying faith. And this has always been the purpose of the church, right? It's not a place where we come and just be social with each other and have fun movies with popcorn and, and, and we have our uh, little um, uh, church softball games or whatever. The purpose of the church is that we grow, right? That we make disciples. That was the, the ending uh, order to, to the disciples of Christ is to have your, your faith multiply in others, that's why our purpose, our vision as a church is to connect with God first, connect with others second, and third, most importantly, connect others with God. And if the church never grew, it would effectively be over in less than a century. We have to be growing outward and growing in others. And so Paul asked for prayers that the gospel would be proclaimed first, that he takes advantage of every opportunity he has. And that, as a healthy church, is something we need to be about. That gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he came to save sinners, needs to be at the center of all we do. It's not something we just talk about at Easter and Christmas or just kind of tack in at the end of a message, but it is the message of who we are, that, that Jesus came to save people from their sin. So we need to pray that the gospel is proclaimed, but then also pray that the gospel is received. This is where you pray for your friends and your family and the people who don't know Jesus. You'll never know the impact that your prayers has in their life. Pray that God would soften their heart and prepare them to accept this truth of the gospel. We know that preaching the gospel doesn't guarantee the gospel is received. And that's the importance of praying for that growing faith. The application here is, is pretty simple, that 
A healthy church consists of believers with a healthy faith. These three tenets, guarded or grounded, growing, and guarded, and keeping your eyes and your hearts fixed on Jesus, that's where we left off last week. But it's, it's this point we often forget. And we try to do this battle ourselves and run through it in our own power. We always have those moments of our faith that we're not particularly proud of, right? When we're angry or proud or anxious or whatever it may be, but it always happens because you're not properly guarded or grounded. And I have a moment, I love to share, you know, these fishing stories. And if you know me, you know my two great hobbies are cycling and fishing. And oftentimes you only share the best moments of fishing. I like to share with you some of my failures, right? This is one of those moments. Okay, now it's not so much about the fish size here. What I'm holding there is a king salmon. When you think of a king salmon, you think of like a 20, 30 pounder. Uh, that was the first and the only fish I caught that day. But there's actually some of you who were here this morning that were here with me that day. You know why this is ultimately a failure. I got incredibly seasick that day. And I had two big errors. The first one was that morning when someone offered me some of the motion sickness stuff, the drama me, and I said, nah, I've never been seasick. It's not going to be a problem. But when we got out into the deeper water and the, and the boat started rocking, the second mistake I made was to go into the cab and think I'd be nice and comfortable in there. But I learned that when you take your eyes off the fixed point, the horizon, that's when you start to feel seasick. And I came out of that cabin kind of green behind the gills, and I just hung my head in my hand sprinch the whole time. And moments, seconds after this picture is when I finally lost it over the side of the boat, okay? <laughs> and that was the way I was the whole rest of the trip. I think it's an example of what happens in our faith when we don't take proper precautions and we take our eyes off the fixed point. When you're not standing on Jesus, the solid rock. When you're, when you're thinking you can do this all your own and, and living in your own power, you're going to have this weak faith, which ultimately doesn't just affect yourself. It's going to affect the people around you as well. As a church, individually and collectively, we have to keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on Jesus. The next part is, is not just having the faith, but, but doing things with your faith, being an active community. And we see in, in verses 6 through 10, Paul really touches on this point kind of head on, that there's people in this community that just weren't pulling their weight. And another way of saying this, uh, verses 6 through 10, is don't be lazy. It's kind of the cliff note of all that. And this seemed to be an ongoing issue just for a few people in the church, but it was really affecting uh, the whole church body and even their outreach into the community, that they, they weren't, uh, they weren't uh, working, they weren't working for their food, and it became a burden to the community. And there are many different reasons why, right? It could have been, well, if Jesus is going to come back at any moment, what's the point of doing anything, right? Like if you knew students that on Monday Jesus was coming back, would you get your paper done this weekend? No, right? It's that same idea of he's coming back, or maybe they just weren't pulling their weight for any other reason, but but the, there's this issue being hit head on that now Jesus, or that now Paul, uh, he really comes at it from a command. It's not the suggestion or a best practice to be active, but he commands them that there's this teaching that they must be active as a believer. But he also led by example. As we read 
in uh, verses 7 through 10, that we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. And on the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in, offer, in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Essentially what he's saying here is that we're practicing what we're preaching. And we're letting our actions be an example to our word. And so if we're urging you people to be active and, and to be working for everything, we're going to do the same. And this is a point we can kind of brush over quickly on, but I think it's really important for our culture because we have a culture that, that kind of has this baseline sense of entitlement in a lot of ways, that money should be free. There should never be any consequences for bad decisions. And, and really, just if you give minimal effort, you should be getting the same as, as anyone else. But for a Christian, we understand that we need to be hardworking, that our hard work becomes a testimony to those around us. The church is called to be different. And when you're a member of a church, you don't come in asking the question, what's in it for me? How can I be served here? But rather, you come in with the expectation of what can I give? And how can I be a part of this bigger collective effort? Be an example in your work and don't be a burden. So the, the, the takeaway is that a healthy church is uh, consisting of hardworking and determined people. And this is an ongoing theme in the scriptures. And all the way in the Old Testament, the Proverbs talk continuously about the need to be hardworking. That's a sign of your wisdom. And you, want, you don't want to be a sluggard or a lazy person. In Colossians 3, we, we talk about the importance of working, actually not as a service to people, but as a service to God. That whatever we do, we're to do it with all of our heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. And it's clear for Paul here that how the church lives says very much about their faith. We need to lead by example, do all things with excellence, and see things through. But it's not always easy. Not always easy. In fact, doing the right thing, doing the good thing, is often doing the hard thing. And the old saying is you can do the easy thing or you can do the right thing. And oftentimes as you do the good things, there's this deterioration of your motivation and your patience. And oftentimes you feel like giving up because you're going to receive some sort of resistance when you do the right thing. But Paul urges these Christians and us, to never tire of doing what is right. And here, again, he's addressing this issue. It's not just the pressures from outside of the church, but the pressures inside of the church, that there's a, a few, a few that's causing some disruption. He talks again about these idle and these disruptive believers. And this really means people who are doing nothing, not really contributing, or people who are doing the wrong thing and really conflicting the good work that's happening. And it's kind of breeding divisiveness in this church. And if you're met with that kind of situation, the wrong thing to do as a believer is say, I give up. You can have it, and you just back away from any kind of challenge. And the wordplay that he uses here is interesting here. That these people who are idle and disruptive in verse 11, they're not busy, they're busy bodies. And this means that they're getting in the middle of all of this good work that's happening. And this can, this can play out in many different ways in, in our church today. It's, 
It's the person who's not leading a Bible study, not on the worship team, or, or not doing anything in hospitality, but they certainly have critiques and comments about everything that's happening in there. Right? It's, it's the person who is absorbing researches, resources of the church that is really meant for outreach. It's, it's being the weak link and not using their gifts. And it's often focused on this process rather than progress. It's these people who are getting in the way of everything. And it's going to happen in every church, right? Because we're just all works in progress. We come at things from different ways. But they can really affect the unity and the effectiveness of the church. And we're going to talk more about those people in a moment. But if you're one that's just trying to do what is right and do what is good, the urge here is to keep on going. Don't get discouraged. The ministry 101 is this idea that you're never going to please everyone. And the more you do, the more you'll probably make someone in the church upset. And take every critique with a grain of salt, because sometimes there's some truth in it you need to hold on to. But you have to learn in the end that you're serving Christ first and people second. Don't tire of doing what is good, especially among the idle and disruptive believers. So this healthiest church, we're not going to get demotivated or discouraged from doing what is right, even when it's difficult. And ministry is often this, this uphill battle. You always feel like you're fighting against the grain. And again, there are times you feel this discouragement or this demotivation when you say, you know what, I just give up. They can have it. But we're reminded that we serve a resurrected Savior, right, who has conquered the most powerful force on earth, which is death. And he's working in all of us to pull us away from our old life and into a new life. What's great in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is the last verse. It's this long verse, a long chapter, 58 verses long, talking about the resurrection power of Jesus. In the end, he wraps up with this. They were to stand firm and let nothing move us. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Keep doing what is good. And eventually, it will pay off. It's hard for us to see that in, in our own lifetimes. I've, I've heard that ministry is like planting the, oak, uh, the acorn of the oak tree of which you'll never enjoy the shade. You never see the full realizations of your work in ministry, but keep doing what is good and know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. So it's this encouragement to the believers to keep doing what is good, but now an encouragement of these believers, same believers, to address those who are causing issues in the church. And there's this, this fourth key is this accountability among believers. And this goes well beyond just this specific example, but really about sin in general, is we have this often uncomfortable call to hold each other toward godly standards. And here he, he's really touching on the topic of church discipline something we don't like to talk about or think about. And it's important to understand this first because what he's, what he's not saying is as soon as someone is an issue, just disassociate yourself from them and never talk to them again. That'd be the wrong way to do it. Uh, there's, there's kind of two extremes to church discipline. And this is where it gets to be an issue. The first is if you approach something hesitantly and you just ignore these known issues and just say, that's their sin, it, you know, it's none of my business, it's just going to go away. But sin for the church is like a cancer, 
okay? And when it grows in someone and it goes unchecked, it just continues to grow until it becomes a problem that's very hard to deal with, and it can affect the entire community. So if you look at church discipline from this hesitant, hands-off approach, you're creating an environment where sin kind of runs freely and has its way, and by the time you actually address it, it's going to be too difficult The other extreme is this harshness, right, where there's no gentleness or grace. It's kind of this strict and abrasive and dogmatic approach. This is often what we know as a legalistic community. And typically, this plays out in a way where they're very selective about which sins they approach and which sins they ignore. But this is one where it creates an environment that actually encourages people to hide their sin. And then it becomes a problem in the same way. What's Important in this verse is to warn them as you would a fellow believer. And there's this understanding that when you work and you hold another believer accountable to their sins, it's done with gentleness and respect, and in a way that ultimately is not leading towards punishment, but towards restoration. That's what we're called to do with one another, and it's incredibly difficult. And so he encourages this church to hold fast to his word, That for us means hold fast to the word of God. That Let let this be the uh, lens of which we view what is appropriate and what is inappropriate as a community. And that you give every opportunity, right? You you approach it gently at first. And what we're seeing is kind of the tail end of the church discipline. When he is with this church in person, it was something that he had addressed multiple times. He warned him about it again in the last letter, in the first letter, which was about three or four months before this. And now it's finally this moment of, okay, this issue is continuing to happen despite all of the warnings and work. If they're really not going to pull themselves away from this kind of behavior, then do not associate with them. And maybe that will work. Maybe they'll feel ashamed of this. They'll feel convicted of their sin. They'll come to a place of repentance, and now you can bring them back to a place of restoration. The end result of church discipline should always be restoration. And there's some times where that unfortunately doesn't happen and more strict measures have to take place. But in this case, don't regard these people as an enemy, but as a friend, a fellow believer, and do everything you can to bring them back in the fold. So the application for us is important here. It's going to be uncomfy, right? But holding each other accountable to godly standards is crucial for a healthy church. We have to be willing to have these conversations. And I would expect any one of you to talk to me if you see something wrong in my conduct, and I hope that I'd have the freedom to talk to you, covered in grace, done respectfully, all for the purpose of restoration. But sin in the church is a serious matter. God expects his people to take an active role in maintaining purity, and guarding the integrity of his church. We're people built on grace, but also in discipline in the way that he sees fit. And the last point is, is one that is pretty easy to swallow, but even more important than all of this, is that the fifth and final key today of, of living as a healthy church is living in a relationship with a living God that when you have this relationship with God, when you've been made new in Christ, it affects every part of your life. What we finish here is this, this sentiment. It's very close to how he begins this book. 
that now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. He drops this right after that moment of, you need to be willing to have the hard conversations with the hard people. And it's going to be messy. It's going to be uncomfortable, but this is your expectation. But through all of that, no matter what you face as a church, problems from within, problems from without, let the peace of God guide you in all of that. And know that you're not doing this alone. You're not doing this in your own power. That God himself, the source of peace, will give you peace in every way and at all times. There's this ongoing relationship we have with God. That there's this grace he refers to in in the final verse of this book. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. This is truly what the church is built upon is grace. None of us would be here without the grace of God. None of us deserve to be here. It's all because of his grace and we'll stay here because of his grace. And I invite the worship team up because I want us to sing about this as much as we hear about or be in closing with a song on this very topic. But if we are a people centered on Christ, living in relationship with him, we already have all we need to be a healthy church. We have this tendency to always be looking for the next new thing, to be discovering the new secret and unlocking whatever steps it is to, to live with peace and grace and live in the... If you have Jesus, you have all you need. Maybe you've had that moment where you're packing for a trip and you've got the suitcase full, but there's just that one item you're convinced that you need and you can't find it anywhere in the house and you spend hours looking for it until you finally find it. You stick it in the suitcase and then you realize after the trip that you never touched it. You didn't need it to begin with. Maybe it's that moment that you're looking desperately for your keys through couch cushions and, and jacket pockets and, and wherever and you realize it's in your pocket right? I've done that an embarrassing amount of times in my life. We're always looking for this next big thing. If you have Jesus, you already have all you need. You don't need to look for anything else. God has provided for you every conceivable resource necessary to be a healthy Christian for us to be a healthy church. The answers are not found out there. It's found in here. We've got it. It's not our power for Christ. It's Christ's power in us that makes us a healthy church, rooted in his peace and love and grace and hope. It's our faith in him and what he is going to do in us that will ultimately make us healthy and successful. And Second Peter is the final verse I'll share here. Sums it up really well, Second Peter 1.3. That God has provided for his people everything required for a life of goodness and godliness. God has already provided everything you need. It's not our work for him. It's his work in us. Let's stand together as we close our service in, in song.